This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 33. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. The word there is, as to Christ. Husbands, love your wives, here's the word, just as Christ. Also love the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall... Did you notice that in verse 30? It speaks of the church's relationship to Christ there. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects the old uh, English word is reverence, her husband. Here's what I'm going to propose we do in beginning an address on Christian marriage. I'm going to propose that we start at the end of this passage, and the first thing that we consider is what is the end or what is the purpose of a Christian marriage. I think that's a good place to start. And we'll look first at what is the purpose of Christian marriage. Then we'll step back up into the text. We'll walk back up in the text and we'll see what are the expressions that a married man or a married woman are to have towards one another as they're pursuing that purpose. In other words, in order to fulfill that purpose, how is the husband to express himself to his wife? How is the wife to express herself to the husband? And then we'll move further back up into the text and we'll discover what is the atmosphere or the environment that is created when you have a couple that's totally given to that purpose and are willing to offer up those expressions. What's the atmosphere or the environment that then covers that home or their lives? Then we'll step even further up into the text to the very beginning of the text and we'll discover what is the cause, what is the principle that produces this Christian marriage, this celebratory Christian marriage. And so we're going to look at it, and the principles that we're going to discover, I think in some way, are to be exercised in our lives, whether we're in a marriage or not. Let's look at the first thing, which is, what is the purpose of a Christian marriage? 
when my children got married, I gave them different advice. In fact, what I did for most of their little wedding homilies was I wrote out bits of advice that I'd given them through their lives, and I repeated them to them during their marriage. And, and here's a bit of advice that I gave my kids. It was live for the glory. Another one was find your M-I-F-G. That means find your maximum impact for God and pursue it. Here's another one. This came closer when they were choosing a mate. There's only one good reason for a Christian to get married and to have a Christian marriage, and that is that you determine that you can do more together with that person for the kingdom of God than you can do alone. And when you're convinced that you can do more for the kingdom of God with the person than without them, well, there's a good reason. There's a good reason to get marriage. The purpose of a Christian marriage. It actually is no different than the purpose of a Christian life. It is this, to exalt Christ and the glory of His work in redeeming a people unto Himself and to exalt with it His spiritual bride, that is, the glory that He has set upon the church. The Christian's life is to give glory to our Savior and His saving work and to bring glory to His saved community that He has left on this earth to be given expression of His grace in the world around Him. That is what the Christian life is about, that is what the Christian marriage is to be all about. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of the Christian marriage. Our lives are to be stamped all about as a testimony to the glory of Christ and the glory that He set upon the church, His redeemed people. Now we know, we've talked about this in the past, that not everybody in the church is of the church, that there are people that are part of this visible church. They attend churches throughout, but that they're not truly regenerate people. But within the church, within this visible church, is this glorious, invisible church contained within it, this bride that Jesus Christ has brought to Himself and purified and presented to Himself as a glorious thing. And it's glory that we're to celebrate and give expression to in our lives. Here's the mystery. That in some wonderful way, Christ has, in saving His people and redeeming His people, has bound himself to his people and has bound his people to himself in such a way that we are called his body. We are completely and thoroughly identified with his being and we're to live to give glory to him and to his people. What Christ has done is he's redeemed for himself a people from all over the world into one body of faith. He said to that body that they are his spiritual bride. He loves us. He gave Himself for us that we may be with Him forever and that He may be in us now and always. And we're to live to make this relationship, which is not ours alone, but ours in community, known to others. That should be the purpose of our marriages as well. And I'll tell you why it works in marriages in particular. The miracle of the church is not simply that God has redeemed a people, but that he's brought together a people from, the Bible tells us this church is created from people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every people, and he's brought together people who are divided from one another, and he's united them together in himself and made them one, and that's one of the great miracles of the church. The problem in the world that we live today in is a problem of people who bear prejudices against other people. It's the divisions of customs and of language and of social mores and of shared history and not shared history. 
It's the impact of the self-interest of one social group pitted against the self-interest of another social group. What creates all that? What creates it is the divisions of customs and cultures. And it's not really just a religious division because all of the religions of the world primarily are the basis by which cultures find their social glue to hold together. The reason that they have such animosity towards a person, for example, that might convert to Christianity is not because they don't believe that Christianity might be a potential way for that person to find life and find salvation, but because when that person turns towards Christianity, he leaves the cultural context in which the society runs. He serves the apple cart of that cohesive unit, and they're against it. And all of their interests for themselves are bound in holding people as tightly together as they can. And so this is the history of the world. All of these social groups rising up, all of these various interests, the interest of my family against your family, my clan against your clan, my tribe against the needs of your tribe, my nation's interest against the needs and the interest of your nations. James tells us in James 4.1, he asks this question, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from desires for pleasures that war in your members? In other words, the battle of conflicting desires and interests of individuals and groups and the conflicting customs and mounting prejudices, these are the things that create division. And this is the miracle of the church. These are the things that are utterly vanquished in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So that through Christ, He takes all these divergent groups and binds them together in one, in unity. In Paul's day, the Jews had simplified this division into just two groups, us and Gentiles. We're just us and everybody else is out there and there's your division. They don't follow the laws that we have. They have laws that we believe are unclean. They're divided. It's actually the same way when you travel to India now. In the city of Haridwar where I was at, it's a vegetarian city. It's against the law to eat meat. I learned, by the way, that all of them eat meat, but they have to go outside the city to get a chicken killed and bring it back in. And I got chicken. By the way, they, they think Americans are all carnivores. So they won't give you pork. That's awful. You can't eat a pig. And you certainly can't eat a cow because she's the mother of the people of Hinduism. So I got chicken every single night. But these types of things, and even these various laws and rules that they follow, create divisions. When a group of individuals had prayed to receive Christ and we went to visit them, they had different questions to ask us to be discipled. Then they were good questions, but one of the questions was interesting, which was, can we eat pork now? Because we kind of like the taste of pork. <laughs> the pastor said, well, you can eat pork, but you're going to have to deal with the resistance and the reaction from people around you if they know you're eating pork. Divisions. In the church, all of that was taken away. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul speaks of this divide that was between the Jews and the Gentiles and the unity that took place. He said, He Himself is our peace who has made both one. That is, He's brought them together as one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity that is caused by the law of commandments obtained in the ordinances, so as to create in Himself, bringing all people into Himself, one new man, one new people, from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile both of them to God in one body through the cross, thereby 
putting to death their enmity, their division. This is the miracle of the church. It's the uniting of people like that. It's what we look forward to when we get to heaven. And every tongue and every drive and every people shall become one family of God, worshiping before His throne. It's the glory of going on these trips. It's going on these trips and finding these cultures that you're in and yet finding companionship and fellowship in these common things. Now this is the miracle of the unity of multiple peoples coming into one body, one family, one people in Christ. It is to be expressed, this miracle, in our marriages. The way God expresses this great miracle of the church is He takes two divergent sexes with two different mannerisms and heading in two different directions and with two different impulses and he brings them together to live together in harmony as one before the Lord. And the real question is, how is the world to believe that God can redeem and unite people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation if he cannot demonstrate his power to unite two sexes into one marriage? Christian marriage is supposed to be an expression of the unity of two divergent interests and two people being drawn together in Christ. What does the unified marriage in Christ look like in practice? What is the regular atmosphere for that marriage? What is its secret power? We will cover all this and more in our next broadcast. Until then, this has been the Bread of Life a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.